0: It's time to Make the Dough Rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe.
1: Welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. Brian, great to be with you this week. How are you, sir?
0: Doing well, recovering from the overeating at Thanksgiving. I'm well nourished. If but we I talk say, a little
1: slower today, we may just have a bit of tryptophan left in our system, right?
0: Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit of a lag, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, were any pizzas made over Thanksgiving?
0: Pizzas were made and uh, hams, steaks. I, there was nothing that was not had. At <laughs> there our was house. nothing that was not made. Good.
1: Did you put turkey on pizza to make it a Thanksgiving pizza? <laughs>
0: never no that would uh ham yes we we could add to the meat lovers turkey uh eh, not not such a great topping
1: there there's there's some like cardinal rule you're breaking when if you were to do that right absolutely very good We've got a really fun show on the way today. Special guest back on the show. He first joined us back in episodes 9 and 10 of the program. We talked about what it meant to be a financial advisor, and we also talked about Medicare with a wonderful Swiss cheese analogy. I definitely encourage you to go back and check out that episode. Again, 9 and 10. Go back and listen to those two with Brett Denko, Managing Partner of Main Street Financial Solutions. and We had such roaring feedback about your participation in those episodes, Brett, that we are uh, bringing you back on uh, another episode and so excited to be joining you again. How are you, sir?
2: I am doing well, and I'm uh, thankful to be on this podcast and thankful for a lot of things. So I had a, a great, great, great weekend with the family, and um, I hope all the, the listeners out there did as well over Thanksgiving, and uh, hopefully everyone is uh, safe and uh, and their bellies are full. So I am excited to be here. So uh, let's let's go.
1: We're, we're going to rev the engines and get it started right away because, Brian, we've got a great selection of uh, topics picked out today to go over with you and, of course, Brett, as well as our special guest. And this is interesting because it was an idea that was born out of our side conversation, Brian, mm-hmm. on the podcast. A previous episode, we got on a side tangent that didn't make it to the episode, but we started talking about this amazing thing that you kind of brought up offhand about government cheese. And we followed it down the rabbit hole. We ended up talking for like a whole half hour that wasn't part of the show. And we said, <laughs> right. well, I guess we should do an episode on this. So that's going to be our, our topic today. And I'm sure people are, there's a good segment of the uh, listening audience going, what in the world is government cheese?
0: I suspect most of our audience has a pretty good idea. If you if you were around at all in the 80s, early 90s, you, you have a pretty good idea what, uh, what government cheese is. And, and let me just start out by saying that I have no intent here of talking disparagingly about a program that helps feed people in need or anything like that. I do, however, intend to disparage certain ideologies and government policies that can go, they're well-intentioned, but they can go wrong. And what happened was I was making pizzas with my oldest daughter, who's taking a course in school called AP Human. It's an advanced placement, and they're learning all about what's going on in the world, different uh, geographic, geopolitical phenomenon. And um, her perspective on the world is really growing. So anyway, we, we were making this pizza and we had a, we, we've had we got a fairly reliable source of uh, real buffalo mozzarella here at the, the local Publix. And that's special with pizzas because it has a very high fat content and it melts nice I and mean, it's the perfect cheese for making pizza. But when we ran out of the, the buffalo mozzarella, we had to switch back to our regular, fresh mozzarella, which is a perfectly good and, and really high-end cheese. And I said, oh, oh, we're out of Buffalo mozzarella. We're going to have to switch back to our government cheese. And she looked at me like what she had no idea what I was talking about. So it caused me to launch into a lesson for her about what that phenomenon was and how the, the, the program came to be. And it actually caused me to go research the program and figure out what what all had happened. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about government cheese and government programs going wrong today.
1: Brett, do you remember the, the government cheese situation? Absolutely.
2: I remember the government cheese, uh, situation and, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, it, it, it was, it actually was meant to help people and it did. Um, uh, but, but it all came out of that, you know, government program. We have, um, you know, they essentially wanted to, inflation was high, so dairy prices went up, and then they tried to fix that. So in saying, oh, well, we're going to lower dairy prices, but then they got too low. So what they did was they said, oh, it's too low, so we need to help the farmers. So they gave the farmers tons and tons of money. So the farmers were like, wait a minute, you're going to incentivize me to go ahead and you know, like, essentially make milk, essentially go ahead and produce milk. And so they did that. And the problem was is that the market it, it didn't need all that milk. So they needed to store it somehow. So what did they do? They made cheese. So it was all this money due to the subsidies to dairy farmers and they made cheese and then they figured the cheese would last and then they realized, "Oh, now that's going to go bad." So the government said, "Oh, well we'll then take all that cheese and we'll give it out to people who need it." So it may not have been the best cheese, um, but it did help a lot of people, but it's sort of one of those things. It was a, it was the government trying to sort of say, wait a minute, we've mucked around with prices and tried to control things. And the private sector went ahead. We incentivized them too much to make all this. And now we have all this extra cheese from the milk that they made and, and, and from the dairy industry. So then they, they gave it away. So it actually was a good solution, but no, it came out of the government trying to tinker with things, and we need them to tinker with things, but we just have to be careful with how they tinker that it doesn't get out of control.
0: And, and, and let me put a little uh, parameters or perspective on this. They were trying to get the price of milk up by $0.06 cents a gallon. That that was that was it, a little $0.06. Cents. Uh, yep. And if you're a farmer and you're, you've got thousands of gallons of milk, then that, that can make a difference. But what happened was is then they so over responded and overproduced milk. And then like Brett said, they they came up with the, you know, to convert it to something storable with this cheese. And to be fair, the quality of this particular cheese was leagues ahead of some of the things like the little Kraft singles or Velveeta. I mean this, this was actually a, a relatively good quality cheddar cheese. They had to hire inspectors so it, it met certain standards. They had about a dozen criteria you know, to, to qualify, and, and they, they weren't just going to buy any junk cheese that people made. But what happened is, is they ended up renting storage space. They filled, they filled up all the warehouses in Wisconsin. And so then they went to Kansas and found these caves, 35-foot-deep caves that they were using as refrigerated storage. Cheese caves. Cheese caves. That's what caves. they called them, the literally. cheese caves. exactly Back yeah. right. Oh, literally. <laughs> But they had a football field-size storage facility, floor-to-ceiling, stacked with millions of pounds of this good quality cheese. So tinkering with things a little bit, six cents a gallon, doesn't sound like a big deal. But then if you let that play out over a number of years, and it was Jimmy Carter that implemented these policies, and this spilled over into the Reagan years where they decided to distribute it. But they spent billions of dollars storing, transporting, inspecting. It, there, there's an incredible cost to this. You know, it would, would have probably been easier to just give farmers cash or give you know, people that need to eat cash and let them go make you know, their own decisions about it. But um,
2: anyway. Instead of, instead of giving them extra money for milk. So they created more. It was like, oh, we'll just do more milk. And then we have to store it. And, and this goes to something I think that, that affects, you know, sort of all of these programs, the government does try and help and in a lot of ways they do. And then since we are a country of entrepreneurs, we are a country built on capitalism. We're not a command uh, economy where the government, like in communist countries, sets the tone as to what's going to happen. We're also not like the socialistic countries of of parts of Europe where, you know, the government's very involved with everything. There is a freedom of expression. There's people starting their own businesses and doing different things. In America, that tradition is huge. So the government tries to help, and then the private sector takes over. The private sector says, well, wait a minute. If that's what you're going to say to incentivize or that's how you're going to do that. Oh, we'll do this, this, and this. And then they take it to the next level. And that's, that's where the government sometimes loses control, because they can't adapt as quickly as business does. So we're going to be talking about a bunch of things here, but that's why it's so important when we talk about having your finances in order, et cetera, because you need to take responsibility. You need to be the one who's, who's doing that, because the government can react, but it's usually they're being reactive. And it's way, way after the need was really, was really needed and instead of being proactive. So you need to be proactive as an individual.
1: It reminds me of uh, driving the car and you start to lose control a little bit, maybe a hydroplane or you hit a little snow patch or something like that. And then you start to try and correct it, but you overcorrect a little bit one direction. Then you've realized you've overcorrected that direction. So you turn it back hard the other, and you start fishtailing across the road. And if you overcorrect too much, you end up with cheese caves um, or an an accident. (laughs) Yes, there you go.
2: That's very good, Walter. It's exactly Uh. right. It's exactly right. And this
1: is not the only time in history, I'm guessing, that we've seen this reaction, this overreaction that leads to these problems.
0: Yeah, one of the the big examples, and I'm going to let Brett talk about this, but the idea of having health care benefits, pensions, and all of that tied to employment came from a similar situation. Well, the government was trying to control prices, but in this case, they were trying to keep wages down. And uh, Brett, it was World War II? Yeah, it was
2: World War II. So think about it. The government's sitting there saying, look, we need... You know, we need people creating uh, products. And what we don't want, you know, because we're, we're in a wartime economy, what we need to have happen is we have a limited workforce. Why? Because so many people were in the army fighting. So we have a limited workforce. We need to be very focused. And so we need to also create a lot and build stuff. So what they did was they were giving out contracts, which makes sense. People who were bidding on those contracts needed workers. So what they would do is they'd say, well, wait a minute, I can make a whole bunch of money. And let's just say the government wasn't doing a great job at, you know, driving the best bargain here in terms of for government money. So people are like, wait a minute, I can make a fortune building airplanes. This is great. Or doing whatever, or building tanks. I can make a fortune doing that. The issue, though, is I need workers to be able to do it. And a lot, of the, a lot of the men were overseas, so I need to find either older men, I need to find women to be able to work for me. So how do I do that? How do I make sure? Because remember, you don't get paid until the tank gets delivered and until the whatever gets delivered. So it was, oh, I'll just go ahead and pay more. And so that's what they did. They were raising wages. The government was worried about inflation for wages. And that would carry over to everything. And the government said, hey, we're worried about that. So what we're going to do is we're going to set a cap on wages. You cannot pay anyone more than X an hour or a day. You cannot pay anyone more. So what did business do? Remember, we're the United States of America. We have definitely has, have our issues. We've always had our issues. But the one thing we do well is business. That's the one thing we do. So you're a smart business owner. And you say, you know what I'm going to do? I can't give them wages. I'll just give them other stuff. I'll give them pensions. I'll give them health care. And people are like, well, wait a minute. I'm going to go work for Walter because Walter is giving me health care and a pension. And Brian's sitting there saying, well, wait a minute. I, I, I'm paying you the same wage. Yes, but Walter over at his factory is giving us, the big thing was health care. So he's going to give us health care. And they said, "Well, I'm going to go work for Walter then." So then, that actually is where it started, and it spread. With the specifically, specifically, was was the big one was healthcare. That is why after World War II, when other nations remember everybody else in the world was was digging out of the ruin, whereas the United States was really the the, the last person standing, uh, the last country standing that was in in good shape. Even Russia, uh, Great Britain had been. Horribly damaged from the war. So they were trying to get their economies going, et cetera. Well, America just said, you know what, we're just going to keep this same system and we're going to allow employers to control health care. And so that that's what they did. And whereas in other countries that dug themselves out of ruin, what did they do? They said, you know what, we're going to have the government run the health care. And that's why it's like that in almost every other industrialized country. But America, it's still tied to the employer, which is what we deal with. It's a difficulty in what we deal with now for anybody who is below age 65. We're still dealing with it in, in America. So that's an example of government setting a cap on wages and business saying, oh, we'll just get around it. We'll do this, we'll do that. You may actually think that was a good thing. But the point here is that, is that the government tries to help or tries to stop something or, or enhance something and the private sector then takes over and goes on steroids with it.
0: And, and to this day, I talk to business owners and to pro, I, I would say proponents of of a nationalized healthcare, Medicare for all type policy. They're they're very critical or unsure of why health insurance is so tied to employment. And when I explain that to them, their their sudden love of a government intervention. Uh, is diminished a little bit. And that's, that's my point is every time we start trying to create laws and rules and, and mandate what businesses can and can't do, it ripples, it creates an unintended consequence. And we end up living with it for a long, long time.
2: Yeah. I mean, one more example, Brian, is the, um, is the housing crisis. um, Clearly subprime crisis that led to the great recession in 2008 and nine. I mean, that was very difficult times for no, our
0: Brett, wasn't that just a bunch of meany, greedy grubbers on Wall Street that uh, you know crammed these products down our throat? Well, Which it's was- interesting.
2: That's where it ended up. That's where it ended up. But where it really started was government said, hey, everybody, if if you, you would get into an argument if somebody said, well, we didn't really say that. But that's what they were saying. They were saying everybody should own a house. Let's lower the standards to be able to buy a house. Like, don't have a down payment? Don't worry about it. Well, what about 20%? Don't worry about it. Well, put down 3% or don't put down anything. So they were creating these situations where you didn't really even, you know, the the standards were incredibly low, but for a good thing. The good thing was, is that home ownership, that stability is good for families. It's good for people. Home ownership is a bedrock of of our society and and it should be celebrated. The issue though is, is they wanted everyone to have it or just about everyone to have it. So by lowering those standards, private industry came in, Wall Street, and said, this is great. So the government says, we, don't, we can just give mortgages to everybody. So we'll do the, they, they called them the ninja loans. Ninja, no income, no job application. So ninja. And essentially, you had people buying $500,000 houses who either didn't have a job or made $20,000 a year. I mean, it was insane ab- about what was, what was going on. And government didn't rein it in because government said, "Well, it's okay. I mean, it's okay." And there were people who were warning about this, saying that we need to have standards. So that is, yes, w- w- you could blame Wall Street, but but there were it, that was the very end of it. Everybody had a hand in it, and I would argue it, it goes back to government. Lowering standards, which if there's discrimination, if there were other things like that, absolutely, that all had to end. Absolutely. But in terms of just letting somebody who didn't really have a job be able to get a mortgage, that's a little scary. Or somebody who didn't make a lot of money who you knew couldn't support that uh, mortgage, that's a little scary. So that's an example where government was trying to help to get people to buy homes, which is a noble idea. And then they couldn't get the toothpaste back in the tube once Wall Street ran with it and once America ran with it, really, because you could blame it on Wall Street. But then you could also say, well, wait, people were going ahead and taking money out of their homes, so they weren't being responsible. So these are real issues out there um, is is that people weren't being responsible either. So it was a lot of hands where get led to the recession. It wasn't just uh, the, the greedy people on Wall Street. It, it and, sounds and a it, lot
1: like the college debt situation, Brett and, and Brian, where we have the same kind of thing. Every, what a noble idea to try and get everybody college, but we make it so easy to bring on all this debt to go into the college. And since everybody's getting in, the colleges have no reason to try and cap their costs and spending. And so their prices yeah. go way up. And now we get into this situation where, We talk about loan forgiveness and wiping out college debt and all these kinds of conversations that are coming up now, kind of another one of these bubbles that feels like it's rising up.
0: Yeah, I found an interesting chart, Walter, where uh, they tracked price changes from January of 1998 to December of 2018, so roughly 20, 21-year time period. And they looked at the price inflation of hospital services, college textbooks, college tuition even child care and uh, you know, housing, on then into consumer products like cars, clothing, cell phones, you know, computers, and, and televisions. And everywhere that inflation was the highest, I would argue the government was involved. So hospital services, college, you know, tuition and textbooks, where well, you've got all kinds of Medicare, Medicaid, veterans benefits. Uh, then the Obamacare came along. And then we've had uh, subsidized college tuition loans, uh, grants uh, to colleges. And and a lot of these kids don't know what they're signing on or taking on tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt. But in every one of these situations where the government was trying to help and make things more accessible, price increases were as high as 200% over that 20-year time period. Well, that may seem, well, time, you know, you get inflation, prices go up over time, yeah. But if you compare that to televisions, computers, cars, clothing, all of those things actually decreased in price, or you got more for your money over that same time period. So where the free market was allowed to operate supply and demand, the the quality or the offering had to be better, prices went down. And everywhere that the government was saying, oh, we need to help people out. We need to get more people in college. That's a good thing. We need to get more people in health care. That's a good thing. It has led to the highest rates of inflation in the last 20 years.
2: And, and also, Brian, you, you're talking about over 200 percent. There has been inflation over the past 20 years. It, it's a little over 50 percent. It's around 56 percent over those 20 years. So I just want you to think about it. That is almost four times more for those, you know, say hospital services, medical services, college, et cetera, that's pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, when when you think about it. And then you have the the things that the government won't help out with, and that is for medical, is cosmetic surgeries. Mm Mm-hmm. Does anybody want to... Walter, what do you think happened to cosmetic surgeries? Or Brian, what do you think happened with cosmetic surgery in terms of LASIKs? and, like, a lot of people don't know this, but Brian is, is, you know, he got a tummy tuck, and it looks good. You can't even see the scars. It looks good. The 6 pack Tummy abs. tucks and yep. things
0: like that. <laughs> those are just... You had to counter all that pizza intake.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, no, seriously, but, but on those cosmetic, where the government wasn't involved, they said, look, you're going to have to pay for that on your own, what, what happened with those? Does anybody want to guess? I'm going to say stable uh, or down.
1: Yeah, stable or down. More oh, competition, down. Yep. much better, right? Yep.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you have that. So it is, it is one of those things. So is it a good thing for people to be taken care of uh, for their medical needs and to send people to college? And the answer is yes. It's just once the private sector then gets a hold of it, then you have rock climbing walls. And, and you have seventeen different professors that teach the same thing, or you have thirty-seven different majors within history. I'm making it up, but you have all these departments because they're like, "This is great. It's all like free money. We're just going to keep on. We're just going to keep on doing it." The, the, um,
0: dorm, the dorms and student housing of today is nothing like the cinder block walled dorms that I stayed yeah. in when I yeah. went to college. Yeah.
2: So it's very, it's very, very interesting. And it's because these folks, I mean, they need to, they need to make money. Um, So, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see what happens with inflation. We'll see what happens in terms of uh, colleges after coronavirus, because a lot of people are saying, hey, is this really necessary for me to spend this amount of money? And for certain schools, yes, it will always be there. For other schools, you know, not, not, not so much. So that'll be, that'll be interesting.
1: We're going to link to this uh, graph, by the way, in this article that kind of tracks these price changes, again, from January of 1998 to December of 2018, uh, that 20-year time period of data. And it is really amazing to see the things at the top of the list, hospital services, college textbooks, college tuition, as Brett had mentioned. And then you look at the other side, what has become more affordable over those 20 years, and TVs, which makes total sense. I mean, you can get a really good TV for very, very realistic prices uh, in today's world. How dramatic uh, all that competition in the TV space and things that haven't been subsidized have driven the prices down for the consumer toys, computer software, cell phone service, clothing even has uh, about stagnant. It at least hasn't risen with the rise of inflation. Household furnishings, cars, some of the things that are you know, viewed more favorably versus how inflation has increased over the years. Fascinating to see those industries that have outpaced inflation versus those that have gotten more affordable over the years.
0: And I would draw the link of government it, government is not out aggressively subsidizing large screen TVs, yet they've gotten dramatically cheaper. So draw your own conclusions if you need to.
1: And again, we'll put a link in the description of today's show where you can go and view that article in that chart if you want to g- check it out. Go ahead, Brett. Okay, I, I'm just going to say this
2: because maybe I'm impressed. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man, so my wife would say that I'm impressed easily. So that's, that's what she would make fun of me. But I am always amazed at how for... $500 or whatever it is, you can buy a big screen TV or $1,000, you can buy a big screen TV. The amount of detail is unbelievable compared to what we had even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or when I was growing up 150 years ago. No, no, 40 years ago. But I have to tell you, I don't know if any of you, and I know this isn't part of, really part of the podcast, but I am amazed at how cheap it is for the quality, that, that you get it's, it just amazes me. And, and um, it improves and every year. With computers, computers, how powerful computers are compared to where they were five, 10, 20, you know, years ago.
1: It reached a point for me with TVs, just as a side note to where I will say, like, I'm totally happy now with the $500 big screen TV. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, it's gotten to the point now where the improvement from that to, they're still trying to push out TVs that you can buy for four and $5,000. But like the increase that you get with that extra spend, I've gotten to the point where it's not worth it for me to get all that latest and greatest technology like L- LED TV, you know, 55 inch for I think you can even get a 55 inch LED TV and one of the lower brands that I think still looks fantastic for like $250 when they're yep. on sale. I mean,
0: yeah, my, my problem, Walter, is I have that. to go, I have to go spend $500 on a pair of glasses that allows me to see the quality <laughs> of that
1: And actors have TV. hated that improvement over the years, right? We could see all their blemishes from That it so that, that is true.
2: <laughs> that is true.
1: So how do we solve this? I mean, what kind of solutions are there? We can look back and learn all these lessons, but what about some, some looking forward or some lessons from this that can be put into you know, practical application, guys?
0: I've got some thoughts, but I'll let—Brett, you want to take that one first? Yeah,
2: uh, in terms of looking at this, what it shows is I think that the government, especially in, in this age of— I'll say the internet, of, of Twitter, of Facebook, et cetera, is still going to get very involved. And I would argue it's going to get even more involved. And people say, well, you mean you're being political here? No. Like, I, I, was, I was watching something where they had, uh, I remember it was 2016 or 2018, and it was a Republican rally. And these people, older people, were like, you know, we're not going to let government, you know, mess with our Medicare. Like, they didn't even realize that, <laughs> that that was the government program. So I think that that we have both, both sides spend a lot of money, and you have this notion that we want to help. And I think it's even stronger now uh, than it ever was before. So I think you're going to see more things, uh, more money is going to be being spent. And one of the things that Brian talks a lot about, and Brian and I talk a lot about, is the fact that... Somebody has to pay for this at some point. Now, I know it's all great. We're having a party, man. Everything's free. Eat whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Oh, the government will just pay for it, and or or they'll give us some extra money, or they'll subsidize us. This is great. But at some point, the music stops. And when that stops, we have uncertainty. We have higher... Inflation, which will lead to higher taxes and or can lead to, you know, the United States not being the world currency, meaning the dollar not being the currency of, of the world, or America not being the leader in capitalism any, anymore and having other countries overtake us. And when that happens, that actually harms everyone in America. And a lot of these programs, you know, they try and, they try and help out. But sometimes they harm the people that they're trying to help out. So I would argue that, that if you, you know, the mortgage crisis, who did it really harm? It harmed people who didn't have skills. And I don't, I don't mean a college education. You don't have to have a college education, but didn't have a skill, didn't have a way to make money. We've had really low interest rates, which is trying to help. Well, that helps people who have money in the stock market. Most Americans don't have a lot of money in the stock market. So that's harmed them because they can't earn anything on their savings. So we have these unintended consequences. I think they're only going to become more and more and more. And that's where I think inflation, higher taxes, more uncertainty comes into the picture. Brian, what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, what really concerns me is you, you have totally, the, the, the topic of fiscal responsibility, managing the deficit or the debt didn't even hit the radar in this last presidential election. You don't even hear anybody discussing it, having ideas, using it as a a, a point or counterpoint in, in the uh, debates. Whereas you know, if you go back in the 80s, 90s, everybody was giving Reagan hell for taking on all the, the debt that he did when he cut taxes and and put an end to the cold war and all those things that there was a cost to that. But, um, you hear ideas today, like, Hey, just let's just pay everybody to stay home until the the coronavirus is gone. Well, you can't totally shut down the economy and not produce anything and just print money and print money and print money. And Oh, well, let's just do the green new deal while we're at it. And let's just do Medicare for all while we're at it. Oh, and let's just forgive all this trillions of dollars of college debt that we've irresponsibly put out there for the last 20 years. You can't just create more money and, and have the problem go away. So what that is going to mean for my clients, investors, retirees, you know, people who want to make their savings last, they need to be positioning themselves today for what could be rising taxes, rising inflation, and really uncertainty about what, you know, what, what direction this is all going to go. So, um. There are steps, fortunately, that you can take, and we've we've talked about that a little bit in the past. But uh, th- those are my big concerns.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, I I have a, a good friend who has, um, well, he has he owns a number of apartment buildings, um, and he's a very nice guy. He's like, look, I don't try to evict people. I try to work with them. If they don't pay for you know six months or so, then I say to them, look, I, I'll work with you, but I'm sorry, I'm I'm going to have to evict you. And so he really he actually doesn't write. He's not this mean person. He just isn't. And so I was talking to him, and I said, "Well, well, how is this affecting you? The the you know the, that there aren't any evictions during COVID." And he said, "He said, you know, Brad, it's so hard because where he has his uh, his his apartment buildings is in a state that has a lot of subsidies for folks who can't pay their rent. So I will say to them, look, you can have a grant." that actually will pay your rent because you haven't paid me in nine months. Now, these are folks who just said, hey, I'm just, I don't have to pay my rent. So even though I'm getting unemployment, even though I'm doing that, I'm just not gonna pay it. And he said, it wasn't too bad, but I had a number of folks that, that, that did have that. And it wasn't as bad as you, you might think. He said, what was interesting is, is that I said to them, look, you can have these grants from the state. They'll actually pay it. And overwhelmingly, they say, nah. They're just going to go ahead and just, the government's just going to say you don't have to pay it or somebody else will pay you. And this person just said to them, look, if they don't extend the eviction, I'm actually going to kick you out. You can't live there for free because I have to pay for, meaning I have my debt that I took out on the property and I have expenses of utilities, et cetera. So you're going to have to to pay or we're going to throw you out. And they're like, no, 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 government will just take care of me. And so the problem is, is what happens if the government then doesn't care of them. Well, guess what? They're going to get thrown out on the street, which is you could argue is just as bad, um, or, or even worse. So it is one of these things where I think a lot of people are saying, "Well, why do I need to take personal responsibility when the government will just take care of me?" And I think one of the message of, of that you know, we would want to say to clients, or Brian would want to say to clients, is and to other people out there that that you need to take personal responsibility for your own finances. Because there's a chance that the government doesn't help you out. Or, or they do figure it out f- further on down the road, and you don't have anything, and you're running through difficult times. So that's where it's so important to understand what these factors are that can affect you. And then what do you need to do? And, and, and how do you need to position your assets, look at your spending, um, and, and figure out ways to be tax efficient, to have an emergency fund, to have things like that? that uh, that if anything comes, you can actually wait it out and you can make it happen.
0: And as we hear more and more talk about fair share, fair share, I mean, the, the definition of who's the 1% is going to expand. And if you happen to have significant assets and you're drawing Social Security and you're on Medicare, at some point you become a potential target for, oh, well, we'll just, you know, we're going to have to increase taxes on your IRA withdrawals or your social security benefits going to be taxed a little more than, than it already is. Uh, the, the, those are the kinds of policies and things that I'm trying to make clients aware of.
2: And the biggest thing is there aren't enough quote unquote rich people. So one of the, one of the things that I, I loved was they had a, uh, they had a statistic that, you know, a million dollars a year is a lot. That's a lot of money. Now I know it's a month for Walter but it's a lot of money, okay? <laughs> or, is it, or is it five weeks now? He had an off year, so five <laughs> or six weeks for Walter. But understand, a million, dollars is a lot to make. And so, so you look at that and you're like, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. All right, so if you taxed that amount, anything over a million, and there's a lot of people. I mean, look at athletes, look at business people, look at other folks out there, lottery winners who make over a million dollars in one year. If you tax them 100%, so I want you to think about that, 100% on anything over a million, 100%, you'd say, well, that would just bring in so much money. It would bring in about 500 or so billion dollars, based on the current economy. So I'm going to, that, that, that's important. That means it doesn't affect any behavior, but based on the current economy, so that would be about 500 billion dollars a year. And you're like, oh, that's so much money. Our deficits routinely since, well, since 2008 have run a trillion dollars. So that means even if you taxed 100% everything over a million dollars, you still would only get halfway there. Oh, and what would happen to people? In fact, it's called the, I don't know, if people are familiar with Bobby Bonilla, the Bobby Bonilla contract. Bobby Bonilla was with the Mets, and they restructured his contract so that he essentially gets paid monies until, I don't even know, is it 2030, 2040? I don't know. Maybe his grandkids will be getting the money. But, but it's I think paid through, uh, 20, forever.
1: 2035.
2: 2035, there you go. Yep. And so so what, what people will do is, if I'm an athlete, I'll just say, you know what? I make uh, $10 million a year. If I'm at tax at 100% or 70%, what I'll do is... I'll just go ahead and take a million dollars. That's all I need to live. Oh, and then after I retire, then they'll pay me the rest. A million dollars a year, you know, until it all runs out. Like that's what that's what business will do. I mean, of course, that's what consumer it's behavioral. You'll you'll make, you know, you'll make adjustments. So really, if they taxed at 100%, they wouldn't bring in 500 billion dollars, which is amazing. 500 billion dollars sounding. Because people wouldn't make a million. Some would, but some would over a million. But they would go ahead and, you know, take other avenues. And I think that's one of the things that's important here is that the money has to come from people not only who make less than a million a year, but people who make less than 100000 a year. That's where monies have to come from. Why do you think sales taxes are such a, a great thing for government? Because it doesn't matter whether a person who makes who's unemployed or a person who makes ten million dollars a year, when they buy something, a chair or something, guess what? They all have to pay the sales tax on it. It's all equal. It's a regressive tax. It actually harms the people who are who are going ahead who don't have the money. So these types of taxes, it, it, that's where they're going to need to get the money. So it's it's one of those things. I I, I like to use the example of of. You know electric cars, and and I, anybody who's ever driven in a, a Tesla or whatever, just it's it's awesome. I, I don't own one, um, but but it's awesome because I know I'd forget to recharge it, and then I wouldn't be able to go anywhere. I know that's what would happen to me, <laughs> um, and I tend to drive a lot, uh, uh, around to various places. So so I I don't I don't have an electric car, but understand that they subsidized them. So they went ahead and they said, hey, we're going to give you seventy five hundred dollars, I think from the federal government as a Credit, and then states went ahead and were giving money towards that as well. So you'd buy a seventy. My my friend bought a seventy-five thousand dollar Tesla, and in California and the federal, I think he got fifteen thousand dollars off as a, as a credit, like free money to buy a seventy-five thousand dollar car. And you go, well, that's good. We need to do that for the environment. Well, here's the here's here's what the government didn't think of. Are you ready for this? Roads are repaired by gas taxes. They don't use gas tax. They don't, they don't, get, they don't pay any gas tax because it's an electric car. So who's going to pay for that? So now they're trying to figure out ways, okay, we need to tax regular people, whether they own a Tesla or whether they own a you know, gas guzzler, we need to go ahead and figure out a way to go ahead and get the money for that. So, that's one small example. What Brian's talking about is the macro, huge example of our economy. So, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there, but I wanted to show a little example of gas taxes, a micro example, to, to really illustrate and, and really allow Brian to talk about the macro example of all of these little things coming together. And people having to pay at lower income brackets, and therefore you need to make sure that your financial house is in order.
0: So, just out of curiosity, Brett, did they are they proposing taxing electric rates, utilities? How, how, how might they uh, go about that?
2: Uh, Oh well of, well, they haven't they, they they haven't figured it out yet. So so that's number one. They haven't figured it out. So what this one of the things this cause remember it's it's the the taxes are based on state gas taxes. So every mm. state has different gas tax rates. So now what they're doing is they're saying, Hey, federal government, give us the money. Because we don't want to get it from the state, because we're already saying a lot of debt, especially the the northeastern states where I live. So they want it it to come from the federal government. So now will the federal government be subsidizing people buying electric cars? And I know there's limitations on it. It's up to 200,000 vehicles per company, et cetera, et cetera. But now there's talk, no, let's extend those forever because it's good for the environment. And I understand. But then the states are saying, well, government, I know you're giving it to the consumer. Now give us money for construction. So that's why you hear about infrastructure so much as a bipartisan issue. In Congress, because both Republicans and Democrats are looking at it as saying, hey, we're going to you know, fix up our bridges and roads, but that money's going to come from the federal government. Oh, more money. So the federal government is giving money to people to buy electric cars, so they're subsidizing them. Oh, and then the roads just got a lot more expensive because they're not having the same gas taxes. So yeah, there is talk about utilities, but then people are saying, well, that isn't, you know, necessarily fair, but, but that, that is what will happen. They'll go ahead and, and they'll have to get the money from somewhere. So where they'll get it from is everybody needs electricity. So they'll tax everybody. So that's, that's where they'll get it. Again, they won't just tax the people who have the fanciest houses. They're going to go ahead and tax everybody who has electricity even more. That, that's what will happen because they'll
0: need the money. This is what we've talked about before, Walter. Today's solution becomes tomorrow's problem.
1: It, it really is right back to the government cheese problem of overcorrecting. You, one problem creates another and you keep chasing it and you just keep overcorrecting more and more each time until the thing crashes and you got to start all over again or figure out some totally different solution. Then the cycle kind of begins again, unfortunately.
2: And, and Brian, I, I listen to all your podcasts and I love them. Okay, you're a it's super clear that fan. Walter's the star, but <laughs>
0: you, you
2: actually do a pretty good job as well. Um, but I remember there was one of them, and I don't remember the episode. You might, you all might remember. But you talked about, you know, what, what, a lot of these. You talk about positioning your assets, but one you talked about having an emergency fund or having funds set aside. That's one part of this, and then there's a another one. Um, I, I I don't know if you talked about it, but you've talked about 401ks, et cetera. And I know you've done like a research paper on it, but I help me out. Cause, cause I know that you did one on that. And I know you were talking about 401ks and positioning assets and things like that. So can you help me out here?
0: Yeah. Well, as far as emergency funds, I, we went extreme with it. Uh, and obviously just having a sensible emergency fund of, you know, three to six months of expenses or for whatever could go wrong, if you need a new roof or need a hospital expense or something like that, you, each person can determine what that is. But a true like systemic collapse. We we did episode number eight. We did guns, gold, and ammo, and that was the, <laughs> That's the right. prepper That's what it was the All prepper right. episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was right.
2: That's right.
1: We should have named it that the prepper episode. So yeah. And uh, we'll link to all those episodes, by the way, in the description of the show, episode eight. And then I mentioned earlier in the show, the ones that Brett uh, was on were right after that one, nine and 10. So three in a row that would definitely be worth checking out to get some more background and info on some of the things that are uh, tangentially related to what we're talking about on today's show. So uh, great examples throughout the whole show. Obviously, history is littered <laughs> with examples with mm-hmm. the government cheese being the first one we covered and lots of other ways that we can see these same mentalities and issues starting to play themselves out. But to bring it back full circle, Brian, how does this affect the everyday individual investor? Obviously, we can't change the government policies all our, on our own and can't do it tomorrow, but we can take some steps to I guess, do that mentality of at least taking care of our own house, taking the personal sure. responsibility well, to and fix and our I own. I think,
0: obviously, the, the, the key point is, is that we have not collected. Uh-oh, Brian, you there?
2: Yeah, Brian, you went out for a little bit there. It was oh. like the Walter. It was like the crescendo. It was, that and then was he and amazing. then he went. And like I'm like, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? And then he went out, like the dramatic pause there, it's Brian just
1: disappeared. Uh, he, Brian has gone away. It says on the uh, recording, so he may have lost internet for a second. We'll give oh, a, we'll give him a chance to. So we can have a party here. now, right? And yeah, he's gone. It's our show so,
2: now. So, so we can have a party. Um, We're pirates. Yeah. We've taken over
1: the show. It's <laughs> exactly right. Well,
2: well, remember, it's in in our family, and I don't know, Walter, if it's any any like this in yours. But we have a saying, okay, and we didn't make it up, but no good deed goes unpunished. Um, so we, we, have that, we have that saying. And I think sometimes that happens with, with government programs because they really do. They're meant to help, and they do help people. Um, it's just sort of reining them in and then saying, okay, is this being very specific? Are we helping the people that really need to, to, to be helped? I think, um, you know, you, you see that in different government programs. Uh, I think, I remember when they did the, the CARES Act and they did the PPP loans, is these, uh, you know, public companies were or, or venture capital companies, et cetera, they basically took all the money. And you had like restaurants out there that were like, hey, they ran out of money because the people who, I'm not saying didn't need it, but didn't need it as much, they actually got the money. I think it was the Lakers got 4 or $5 million. Now, now, they gave it back because they were embarrassed by it. But I just want you to think about that. The one group of people that don't need the money is the ownership of the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, let, let's just be clear about that. Um, but it was one of those things where they were like, oh, this is great. So the government passed this. They, the government was very broad because they wanted to be broad because they wanted people to be able to utilize it. But then, you know, private industry, et cetera, uh, uh, took advantage of it in, in in some ways. And so the good news is that they were able to release more money. And in the end, only about 100, uh, excuse me, there was $100 billion, I believe, that went unused. And so these are things that that extra stimulus that they, that they allocated that we, we haven't all used, but they actually allowed that for businesses to go ahead and utilize it. Also, small businesses that really don't, you know, they don't have bankers and accountants that they can run all these numbers for them. They needed help. Uh, and, and that was one of the things that, that happened after, you know, they released more money and then they gave more help. And to go ahead and, uh, you know, for folks who aren't, quote unquote, as sophisticated as the accountants and people who run the Los Angeles Lakers. So I think that that's one of the things that when we 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 talk about these programs is that they are good and they help people. It's just can you rein them in? It was the old it's the old joke that you know a a government you know what did Reagan say something about a, a government agency is the is the nearest thing you can get to eternal life uh, because it just never ends, and it's because people say oh well it's not really hurting anybody so just go ahead and, and keep it going. And that actually can be a real problem. Um, if, if at some point you don't have people working together in government, I know you're not allowed to say that, but I'm going to say it on air, having people working together, listening to one another and saying, hey, th- this, we, we need to improve this and here's what we need to do. So um, anyway, so that's, I would like to just,
1: just, just talking about that, um, I, I, th- I think is important. Walter, is Brian back on? He, he is. Brett, you're a machine. I was going to say we can just pause and edit this out later, but you just kept rolling. Like uh, Very impressive. As, like live radio, you had this mentality of the show must go on, and so we're rolling with it. Brian, welcome well, well, back to I the, had, show. I
2: had the whole I had the whole, we were going to use the Affordable Health Care Act, where there was wonderful things with the Affordable Health Care Act. There are wonderful things with the Affordable Health Care Act. and then there's things that are dreadful about it. So what you do is you keep you keep what's great about the Affordable Health Care Act, and you get rid of the stuff that isn't great. Well, one side of the political aisle thinks it's all bad, it's all terrible. And the other side of the political aisle thinks it's all great. And they both know that's not true. But they won't work together to actually give us better health care because they don't want to say, oh, well, they'll get the victory or they'll get credit. It's like, no,
1: the American people need to benefit from this. Brian, welcome back to the show, and uh, you missed Brett going on a roll for the last uh, couple of minutes as we got you uh, reconnected and back with <laughs> did, us. We did, thought did, you were playing a joke on us by backing out of uh, of the
0: show right when we were getting to the crescendo. In the, in no, the my, my my feed went uh, dead there, so uh, did Brett answer all of your questions? Or he did. I yeah, I no, no, well,
2: I answered some of them, but I, I was like, I'm not going to steal Brian's <laughs> thunder. And then you went out. So we thought it was a joke, but it was not. It was, uh, anyway, there you go. It was the interwebs.
1: So what was the original question? We were steering toward the individual investor and 401ks, IRAs. I've got these savings. I want to take personal responsibility of my financial life despite all these other things that are going on and some of the worries that I may have about taxes and inflation and some of these things that are way out of whack and what the government is doing. How can we take more control over our individual situations and improve our own financial standings as we prep for whether it be retirement or paying for our future kids, uh, grandkids, maybe the case is, education the things that we want to do with our funds and our money our dreams and goals how can we protect those things and and maintain control over them
0: yeah well here's the good news we we've never totally derailed, despite all these programs and the things that went wrong with them we've never derailed the economy we're not uh, hopefully we're not collapsing into socialism or something like that and through all of these episodes and time periods and events that happen from year to year the economy has consistently progressed and grown and, and uh, you know, things have gotten better and poverty has gone down around the world. There, there's a lot of good things happening out there. So I think as long as you have one eye on the opportunity and you know, positioning yourself for some growth and, and benefiting from current trends and, and, and things that are happening you know, with, with innovations and, and business growth and development, also take the steps to say, how do I position myself for rising taxes? How do I position myself for uh, in potential of uh, inflation and, and rising healthcare costs in the future? And if you just balance those two, I don't think it's as doom and gloom as, as uh, maybe we started out, here, out with the podcast. There, there's definitely tremendous opportunities out there. There's massive wealth being created. And these innovations will provide plenty of opportunities and benefit to the quality of life, the quality of healthcare that you're going to get. So there's a lot of really exciting things, but you just have to keep an eye on what's happening at the federal level, because these things do spiral out of control. There is going to be a cost in the future. And I just want to make sure it doesn't all fall on, you know, by my clients.
2: Yeah. And I, I, one of the things I want to add, we've talked about things that, you know, maybe government programs that have kind of outlived their usefulness or, or led to unintended consequences. I just want to bring up, you know, Operation Warp Speed. It is unheard of to have a vaccine in nine months. You asked anybody a year ago, "Oh, there's going to be a pandemic. How long would it take? Two, three, four years?" And we're going to have multiple vaccines that are on the market. So what that talks about is the you know governments around the world, but it, especially the U.S. government taking the lead, uh, spending billions of dollars in research and making sure that you know things are you know, gone gone ahead and that they're they're doing, you know, in terms of uh, putting the money in, having the companies utilize, uh, you know, their resources, not only American companies, but companies all around the world. So that's an issue where actually government is great. Hopefully they won't say, hey, let's go have vaccines for Everything else out there that isn't that important. So hopefully this will be a one and done deal. We'll get this done, and there won't be any other, other, uh, you know, covids out there over the next few years. But that's an example of where government does work, and it improves the quality of life. I mean, we we sometimes say, well, is it that I'm trying to be a little optimistic here, or or be optimistic here? Is that people will say, well, yeah, well, you know, we're in debt, and we're this and that. The ability to to get information that essentially everything you ever needed to know is somewhere on the internet. It might not be true, but everything you <laughs> needed to know or not know is on the internet. Our quality of life is, is amazing. Our medical, yes, it has been, uh, there's parts of it that are inflated, etc., and the government has added to it. But it's still nice to know that you're not gonna die of that massive heart attack at 68. Why? Because at 62, you're gonna have a test. And that test is going to show that you have a blocked artery going into your heart, and then they're going to throw a stent in there and clear it, and you're going to be good to go for 20 years. Like people don't talk about that enough. I'm impressed with my TV for 250 or 500 dollars being awesome. I'm really impressed that we can actually, you know, throw a stent in there, and I'm not going to die of a massive heart attack. I have another 20 years to live. So those are things where you know the government and private industry have to have a partnership. You, as an individual, can't control a lot of those things, but you can control what you can control, which is how am I invested? How, how much of my money is in tax-deferred assets versus uh, taxable assets? What is my emergency fund? If anything comes up, am I, am I ready, ready to do that? And I think these are things that are really important. And sometimes, and I'm guilty of it, too, I worry about the things I can't control. Instead of actually controlling the things I can control. And, and I really think that that's one of the things for, for people out there is to get a handle on your finances, get a handle on your spending, get a handle on how you're invested in trying to figure out thoughtful ways that you can go ahead and enhance those.
0: Just one observation on Brett's uh, breakdown of the, the collaboration on, on the uh, vaccine. That was where government said, hey, we're going to help facilitate and sponsor this. And then private industry and scientists and and research uh, academics and uh, academicians, universities all around the world came together via technology. They shared and, and, and collaborated to come up with a solution. So that was one where there was a desired outcome. We need a vaccine. And here we'll throw some money at it. We'll will help facilitate this. Whereas if you go back to our cheese example, they, they said, we just want to increase a price or with the, the wages in World War II, we want to decrease a price. They didn't have a, as much of a specific outcome as they just wanted to control a, a number. So uh, yeah, th- there's definitely some good things that can come out of uh, maybe some of the clean energy initiatives or government, private sector collaborations, as long as we know what we're aiming for. Uh, But that said, if you want to know more about this and what you might be able to do about it, I would encourage people to go to retirementrescue.net. We've got a link there to get a copy of our recent paper called The 401k Trap. In there, we talk about how retirement has changed, some of these costs and and, uh, issues with the the programs with Social Security, Medicare, uh, the, the demographic shift that's coming, but then what you can do to position yourself proactively today while we're in a relatively favorable tax environment while you still have time to take some some multi-year steps and that would uh, that would be my advice.
1: And again, that 401k trap uh, even though we just put the 401k in the uh, in the title of that helpful guide at retirementrescue.net, if you have any similar type of account, so we're talking of course 401k's, but IRAs, 403b's, a SEP, 457, any of those kinds of accounts, you're going to want to get a copy of the 401k trap. Uh, All of the principles that are in that document and that we discuss there are going to be applicable to you, very helpful, and in uh, kind of the same realm that you are in. So whether it's a traditional IRA, 403b, or that good old 401k, uh, if you have one of those accounts, go to retirementrescue.net or click the link in the description of today's show and access the 401k trap. It's going to be really helpful for you to do that. Brian and Brett loved the stories and the examples on today's show. Got a little bit of a history lesson, got to apply it and look forward a little bit. Uh, Everything that we talked about in today's show, previous examples, by the way, that chart that we mentioned at the beginning, and we'll even link to the story that we talked about at the very beginning about government cheese. We'll link to a uh, History Channel uh, account and blog about that as well, all in the description of today's show. So lots of great extra resources for you to check out there. But Brian and Brett, great chatting with you both today. Thank you for the help and the stories and the guidance.
0: Yeah, it was a pleasure. We enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
1: We'll look forward to uh,
0: What do you think, Brian? We'll have Brett again on another show? I think this was pretty I, good. I think maybe uh, yeah, once or twice a year. I think he's, he's worth having yeah. around. Well, yeah. we, we
1: let like 30 episodes elapse before bringing you back on no, 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 after no, the What first, you do is, what,
0: how, how this works is, you when you have a
2: bunch of episodes that are too short, if you're like, hey, we need a long episode, get Brett on here and just talk for seven hours. It's great. We won't even ask him questions. He'll just talk. It'll, it'll be wonderful. So when you need a really long session, that that's what you do. Have me on. Some just of us tell are Brett born the to mic talk. is hot. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you. And, and, and all of you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season um, and uh, and everyone listening out there and, and into the new year 2021. 2020 has been a challenging year for many people and I hope uh, I hope 2021 um, is, is much, much, much better.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Brett. We appreciate you joining us. Brian, thank you as well, my friend. I'm Walter Storholt for Brett and Brian. Thank you so much for joining us on Make the Dough Rise. We'll be sure to chat with you again on the next episode. Take care.
2: Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in
0: Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today
2: and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise.
1: Investment advisory service is offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.